you've got sort of this sort of weird sort of hybrid experience where it's this between being there and watching it on TV. But then you you have this point where you can have access to the talent and the athletes. You know, the WWE does these meet and greets and they, they charge a significant amount of money for people to come in and, and talk to the wrestlers. I mean, you're a fan, you wanna be as close to the players or the talent or the athletes, you know, whatever that is as possible. And this done the right way, this is a really interesting solution for that, especially in something that's very low latency where it's immediate feedback. So it's like you're having a natural conversation with with somebody as you're there, but you know, you're on a display and it's really exciting stuff. And it's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Alomes. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have Greg Harvey, Partner and Chief Innovation Officer at The Famous Group. As CIO, Greg has led the transition of the Famous Group from a traditional creative services company into a forward-thinking creative services technology business that develops and owns several software platforms and solutions. These platforms include Vixie, a real-time social display application powered by Unreal Engine, Virtual Seat, a cloud-based enterprise solution that delivers large-scale audiences virtually into live broadcast events, and something we talk about a lot today, as well as the company's new mixed reality solutions. Greg's role includes discovering new technologies that can be integrated into the company's software platforms and solutions, building technology partnerships to further expand the company's products and services, integrating Unreal Engine across the company's software and creative services, and implementing a robust remote cloud-based production pipeline. He's also the face for innovation for the company, uh, so it's great for him to be uh, appearing on the show and for us to be chatting about all this stuff. Um, it's certainly something that we were kind of incredibly lucky to be able to condense down into a podcast because it's, it's chats that uh, Greg and I have had that just span hours about the future of the industry, the future of the kind of physical digital divide, where fan engagement's going, and then the important question around how do you actually monetize this? Because at the end of the end of the day, someone's got to foot the bill for all this uh, cool new cutting edge stuff. So here it is, uh, Greg Harvey from the famous group. Uh, looking forward to speaking with you again at the end, but over to Greg. Greg Harvey, Partner and Chief Innovation Officer at The Famous Group. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Thomas. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Um, I can literally talk about this stuff for, for hours on end, so it's it's great to, uh, to be able to uh, sit here and chat with you. Um, you know, just really quick for those who don't know the famous group, a little bit about our business. You know, we've been in business for about 24 years, um, started in doing in-stadium content um, for professional sports. So back at the time when we started our business, if you had gone to a game, the visual experience, I mean, these were these were dot matrix boards. I mean, these are before, you know, actual, you know, full color video boards. Um, and if you if you went to the arena, the in-game experience was very poor compared to like what you would see on ESPN or Fox Sports where everything was branded and looked really polished and it was kind of a whole branded identity. So that's kind of where we got into it um, as we approached it from sort of this broadcast brand brand identity. And that's how we started our business. So we started our first client was the Clippers and we just grew from there. And if you fast forward to today, we're the largest provider of that kind of content, you know, for all kinds of sports around, you know, MLB, NHL, NFL, um, you know, MLS, like all the leagues, like, you know, we're really deep entrenched in producing all that content. And then we really got into the, to the software side of things. Um, 
you know, sort of always looking forward, you know, when social media became a huge part of, you know, a box to check, you know, within the game experience. So sort of aggregating and delivering social content onto the display boards in venues, um, you know, there were some companies starting to come in and, you know, I'm a highly competitive person. So I was like, oh man, you know, that's taking up some of our real estate on these screens. We better figure out a way to get involved in this space. Um, but, you know, we come from it from this broadcast production, you know, 3D high-end graphics and stuff like that. So social display was basically two-dimensional tweets and photos on a video board, typically web-based. And we approached it from using a gaming engine to make it feel like broadcast graphics. So we started this whole journey on developing software. We ended up getting a couple of patents. Um, and then, you know, before, before um, you know, COVID kind of happened, we were on this mixed reality journey where, you know, we kind of see this as the next evolution of pulling the graphics off of the flat 2D video boards and really creating this, this really immersive experience, you know, within the physical stadium. So I know everybody talks about this merging the physical and digital and, you know, really what that is, but mixed reality graphics to us was really this next generation you know, kind of the AR graphics that you see on broadcast, but bringing those into the into the venue and having the fans there experience that. So we did that big Raven at Baltimore that went viral on Twitter and all over the internet. Um, and then we did this big uh, Super Bowl all-time team show, the seven and a half minute live mixed reality broadcast, which was the seven and a half minutes of the most stressful time, um, you know, ever, because if anything goes wrong there, um, you're in, you're in big trouble, but you know, that's kind of, you know, where, 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 where we sort of netted out, you know, before COVID was going on. And that was something we spoke to Tim Tobito just after that happened. So director of a presentation for the NFL, who was, was partnered with you, um, or I guess you were partnered with him for that from the NFL side. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to that episode, can hear about how that, that came together. And um, obviously very, you know, very impressive that augmented reality, um, experience for the fan. And, and so, as you said, you've been in the experiential business for over 20 years, creating these immersive fan experiences. How did 2020 and COVID-19 shift um, from creating a, an experience for a stadium full of fans now to a position where you don't have any fans and slowly they're coming back? Yeah. I mean, the first thing was terror because, <laughs> you know, I thought we were done. Like, you know, our whole business is based around live events. And, you know, when, you know, you started to see everything closing, you know, we were, we had a big activation that we were supposed to do at the draft um, when it was in Las Vegas. And, you know, one thing after the next started shutting down and, you know, it was just sheer panic. It's like, what, what are we going to do? I mean, yeah. our whole, our whole business is based around people going to stadiums and, you know, providing those kinds of services for teams and leagues and, um, you know, it was, and lucky for us, I mean, you know, we had started this around 2015, we had started sort of this software sort of tech side of our business. And so we were fortunately kind of positioned, you know, if we had just kept being a traditional production company, we wouldn't have survived. Um, but we, we had this, you know, we were talking with, speaking of Tim, you know, we were, we had a con we had a call and it was like, well, what are we going to do for the draft? Because, you know, they, they basically switched it to sort of this, online event. Um, Roger Goodell was going to be in his basement. They were going to do. And so we kind of started this iteration process of like 
could we have what kind of fun things could we do maybe we could do some ar experiences when the players come into his basement we can put like their team hats or jerseys on them or confetti or do something interesting where you know it's just not a person on a screen and him talking there and then i just happened to mention you know well, what about if we brought in actual fans you know on some screens in into your um into your into the basement and he, you know they can interact with him of course at the time we had no idea even how to do that um you know it was just one of those like oh just riffing on a, on sort of trying to ideate and then he tim was like oh that's awesome let's 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 go down that path and we we have a partnership with a company called quince imaging um you know we do a lot of projection mapping shows with them stuff like that really smart guys and so that kind of really, really tipped it off for us. I mean, we we figured out, they figured out an interesting way to do that um, and a very low latency sort of system. And we were able to bring in those fans, you know, and we, again, we, we came at it from this production side. So it's kind of audience managing. So making sure that they were in the team gear, that they were pumped up, that they were excited, you know, that they went in there. It's, it's, it's a much kind of different experience than, you know, in my opinion of that NBA bubble that, you know, t teams did where it's sort of a software as a service model where you just put, put the people in there, but there, it isn't really, they're really not immersed in the show part of it. And that's sort of, you know, where we, where we came out, came out of it. And I, I don't want to use the P word because I don't, I don't really like that word um, pivot, but um, you know, we, and then, you know, from there, I mean, we were just, you know, we then we picked up this WWE project um, to do the Thunderdome, and you know they they were they're somebody that you know at that time they were like either we're having a hundred percent fans or we're having no fans, and we're gonna try to make something that makes the NBA thing look like a you know a kid put it together, and you know their whole thing is these big immersive shows with you know, it's all the storytelling and the good versus evil. And, you know, the fans without, without fans and wrestling, it just looks like really bad theater. Yeah. And the fans with signs and the, the interactions yeah. and the reactions. Yeah. And I mean, pull all the fans away from that. And it's like two guys jumping around on a mat. I mean, yeah. it's Dude. not, not to down, not to downplay, you know, it's, it's an incredible business and yeah. a sport, but with the fans are such a critical component to that experience. And so again, it was one of those things like, we don't know how to put 5,000 people in a video cloud and stream a thousand people at a time, you know, down there. So it was just a lot of like, that was a very difficult, you know, short amount of time to put that system together. But, you know, we work with a company Quince and Frozen Mountain that does the video cloud and then a registration system that was on AWS. And we were able just to put this thing together and iterate on it. And we just finished our 75th show um, with the WWE. And they, they um, Stephanie McMahon actually uh, said that, you know, even when they do go back in end of, end of June or July, that they're gonna move forward with some kind of hybrid. I think they really saw the value. Um, and, and that's something I wanna jump in on, touch on it. We, we're gonna, I guess, talk about the uh, Golden State Warriors dub hub in a second. Yeah. But that idea that um, you need your fans in a stadium um, for a complete product in the sense of how it feels, the atmosphere it creates, um, that was obviously highlighted by COVID. But what was also highlighted was the fact that the majority of your fans will never be able to experience that. 
And that's something that I think sports is such a, such a laggard, I guess, you know, ha- has taken its sweet, sweet time and kind of coming around to that idea that, well, we just offer the in-stadium experience to people that are physically there and we just sell them a ticket and then we upsell them on everything else. Um, and that's how we get revenue. And we have, as you said, the brand exposure, everything else. Um, that's really shown to be a fallacy. There are so many fans, especially the globalised nature of all these different sports, um, that will never be able to experience it in person. But that doesn't mean that you can't draw them into the experience and then also monetize that experience. Um, so, I mean, for that side of it, where do you see basically that monetization coming from, that ability to have virtual fans there but then monetize it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the thing about the globalization is is really true. I mean, all sports have a global fan base. I mean, the WWE, for example, you know, is, is uh, huge in India. And we actually did an all India show where the, it was geo located basically to India. So that entire, that entire show was every, all the fans from India. And that, you know, that was a, you know, that's something that you could never do before. You know, that just, there wasn't there, you know, the technology wasn't really there um, to figure that out and the, the ability to do that. And then from the monetization side of it, you know, this stuff is all brand new. It's kind of like, you know, this, you know, you, you hear this all the time. It's like this technology was sort of coming, you know, all of this new tech, but the, you know, COVID sort of the opportunity, you know, when something like this happens, you know, that everybody sort of jumps on this and it really gets accelerated. Um, I think the monetization part of it is very interesting because there's sort of this, you know, do you, and people are trying to figure this out is like, do we sell tickets to these virtual experience? And when you're selling a ticket, somebody expects something, you know, mm. much more, much more polished, you know, um, you know, they expect a lot more from it than a free, you know, the WWE is open. There's a registration system. And when it fills up, it fills up. And then inside there, you know, they're selling merchandise in there. So they're, they're selling like specific sort of merchandise. Um, they promote other shows and then they have, they, they basically built this database because when you register, they get your email. So they have a lot a database for retargeting. So they're able to retarget merchandise experiences, you know, back to that group of fans. Now it's not a huge group of fans. Um, you know, I think it's over half a million people have kind of registered and gone, gone through that, but you know, that, that is something to say because, you know, in an arena, you're only limited to so many seats. And this is an opportunity to expand that seat and, and really bring in. And I, and I think, you know, there's the second screen experience, the, the watch party, but the unique thing is to actually get into the, into the venue and see yourself as part of the venue. I think that's, that's really awesome. Like, the, you, know, we t- you mentioned the Dub Hub. And the thing about the Dub Hub, which is really cool, is there's these screens where the players come out in the beginning of the game in the tunnel there and the fans can talk and interact with them. And for a fan to be able to talk to Steph Curry for a few minutes or do that, that's an invaluable experience to somebody. It's really like this, you've got sort of this, you know, this sort of weird sort of hybrid experience where it's this between being there and watching it on TV, but then you, you have this, this point where you can have access to the talent and the athletes um, you know, the WWE does these meet and greets and they, they charge a significant amount of money for people to come in and, and talk to the wrestlers. I mean, that's part of the whole thing is being, if you're a fan, you want to be as close to the players or the talent or the athletes, you know, whatever that is as possible. And this 
done the right way, this is a really interesting solution for that, especially in something that's very low latency where it's immediate feedback. So it's like you're having a natural, you know, conversation with somebody as you're there, but you know, you're on a display and you know, it's, it's really exciting stuff. And it's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. So really moving forward, you know, it's kind of like all of this is paid for by sponsorship. And I think Golden State is another good example of that is that, you know, when they, when they signed up to do this, um, they sold it as inventory to their sponsors and they actually yeah. sold out of the inventory. They, they ran out of the inventory over the, the course of the year with sponsorship. Um, so sponsorship, they, they made, I think around three X on sponsorship. So, you know, again, it's a pay to play business. I mean, you know, if it doesn't generate revenue, if it doesn't, if it doesn't give something for a sponsorship, then, then teams or leagues typically won't buy it. I mean, it yeah. has to generate income. Which is key of that fan engagement. I think um, people banding around the term fan engagement and can be very nebulous. And if it's hard to measure and hard to quantify and hard to monetize, then it's probably not adding as much value as people claim it is. Yeah. Says, oh, well, fan engagement, it's great. We're going to bring our fans in, all this kind of stuff. You go, well, that is fantastic. But as the sports industry has also seen, um, you need to make money to survive and you need to make money to thrive from this. So if you can sell in further tickets or sponsorship revenue through these activations and through these virtual seed experiences, then that's a very clear, compelling case for them to be rolled out um, across different sports. And it's interesting you mentioned not only are you limited in a stadium to how many seats you can fit in there, but also your sponsorship revenue. Oh, sorry, inventory. So the amount of advertising hoarding that you have to, to sell, the amount of experiences that you can brand for a sponsor, the amount of elements of that whole game day um, that can be sold. So this is another way to increase and amplify that. And also, as you mentioned, with geolocating, um, something about uh, engaging local sponsors as well. So WWE, you have an all India night. Well, if you have that branded with a local sponsor in India, that's going to, you know, that's, that's, a, that's another pool of sponsorship uh, inventory that you can, um, that you can activate. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, you know, the WWE was saying too, this is really, something that they want to get into sort of this next generation of fans, which are, you know, this is the way, again, you know, there's, you know, the world has changed. <laughs> You've got, you know, the gaming industry and this younger generation of people are used to using Discord and video chat and, you know, playing games with their friends and going into Fortnite concerts, you know, and it's like, you know, my kids wouldn't have known who Travis Scott was unless, you know, he was in Fortnite. So they, you know, they, you know, you're exposing this whole, new generation to and sports i think has this kind of issue it's kind of you know how where this new new version of you know humans are basically you know using their screens and devices to to talk to each other and and do all that kind of stuff it's like you know maybe going to a, a physical event is a special occasion or you know something that they would go to with their friends but you know a lot of a lot of this next generation of people coming up will experience, you know, physical events in a digital way. You know, it's like, it's like before it's like this, you know, you had your physical event and then, and then you would have some kind of maybe digital activation or some kind of experience around that. But now these things are in parity, like this kind of idea that a virtual experience 
isn't as important as a physical experience, I think has gone away. I think the virtual experience and the physical experience have value. And especially there, you know, people have realized that this virtual experience I can do a lot with, and maybe in some instances more than I can with a physical, you know, because yeah. it's like, you know, one, it's expensive to go to these games. You know, you, it's a lot of, you know, effort and, you know, there's the diehard fans, but what about all the other, you know, fans that are more casual that maybe just want to hang out with their friends and watch some of this game and then do some fun things and show up on a screen inside the stadium, you know, to get their little, you know, a few seconds of fame, like, Hey, I was there, you know, I got to do that. And that has a lot of value. Like the, the, the people that went through the WWE and get on the broadcast, they love it. Mm. I mean, they, they think it's great, you know, cause even in the, even in the physical venue, if you were to go there, you don't really get on TV very much, you know? So it's really a, it's a whole different experience. And interesting to say about this, the new humans, I like that as a, as a term for yeah. generations. Certainly anyone for kids feels like they are new humans in, in terms of trying to associate and connect with them sometimes because it is just a different mindset. And I'm probably on the cusp of, of that, but much younger generations and kind of teenagers and the ones that are coming through that, um, that something like Fortnite would target, see the value, the inherent value in digital assets. So buying a skin, paying real money, converted into V-Bucks to buy a completely virtual digital skin, clothes, whatever you want to call it, they see value in that. Oh, Whereas yeah. other generations, old generations generally cannot wrap their heads around it. I think one of the, one of the easiest ones to grasp is probably something like streaming, Spotify. I pay a monthly fee for access to digital music. Whereas when that was coming out, it was, well, why would you do that? You want to pay for the physical CD, vinyl, tape, you know, whatever, whatever era you're coming from. Um, but the really one that the kind of the mind bending, melting one that everyone's trying to grapple with at the moment is um, NFTs, the non-fungible tokens, like going this digital asset, whether it's a piece of art or a LeBron dunk or highlight, how is there value in that? And I think these kind of younger generations coming through go, they get it much more easily understanding that that has value for the same reasons that any other kind of collectible does in terms of scarcity, in terms of something unique, in terms of associated with something that is um, very important and, and value to them. And obviously sports being able to connect to that um, is is one of the most obvious ones in terms of from a mad, mad fan of the team or the athlete, I can see the value in owning something like that. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, it's such a crazy time with all of this sort of emerging technology and this NFT stuff literally just came out of nowhere. Hmm. Um, you know, and it's been around for a while, but you know, I think the idea of these digital, you know, again, it's about content, you know, and, the, and, you know, I think from the NBA's perspective, you know, they have this content and it's how do you monetize this content in a new way? And, you know, there's, a, there's, you know, people have been collecting trading cards and collectibles and, you know, bobbleheads and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. And again, this is just the new world. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's a digital first. I, my son's Fortnite account was hacked and to get it back, I had to go back and send, 
you know, whoever it was, you know, who's managing this stuff, all of the receipts and every everything that I had purchased, the whole purchase history. And when I added it up, I had spent over $3,500 in skins. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's, you know, something else. But then, you know, you, you think about it. I mean, this is, this is their identity. I mean, they play these games and they, they earn this stuff and, you know, that it's a, a big part of who they are, you know, this, this digital world with digital clothing. And, you know, you can see this all over the place, fashion, you know, it's all going this way, you know, probably in the future, Nike will sell more digital shoes and they probably will physical shoes. Um, and so, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, also in tech, there's a lot of FOMO, like everybody, you know, you, somebody's getting into the NFT and then everybody has to get into NFTs. And before you know it, your grandma's making NFTs, you know, from her knitting collection and, you know, selling those on, you know, whatever the foundation app for $800,000 for some reason. But so, so what do you think's here to stay? Like what, what is going to be the beanie babies of the, of the 2020s, you know, something where it's just, you have the the boom and the bust and there's a, there's a craze and it kind of just slumps off the other side and what's going to be sticking around. What's going to be, well, this has genuine value. Is it more, is more just the, not necessarily the NFTs and the collectibles themselves, but more the underlying technology and the way that you sell digital assets is kind of one of those things that you buy, you buy a digital seat, a virtual seat, um, and I mean, we're, turn, we're, we're using digital and virtual interchangeably here because in terms of definition of terms, it's, it's an absolute nightmare because everyone's got their own kind of version of what they think. But let's stick with, say, virtual um, and digital, one and the same now. Uh, I buy an experience to a virtual seat at WWE. I get to meet and greet with one of the wrestlers. Um, and then as a token of the kind of, fantastic experience I had and as a, as a memory I get some sort of digital asset whether it's a ticket or you know customized photo whatever else that is is that kind of where you see that sitting I guess as valuable if not more valuable than the physical version of that where I go to the stadium I pay for VIP seats and I get I get my game ticket afterwards yeah I think that um you know, and I, I listened to I, I listened to a panel that um, some people from the NBA were on, and you know, they, what they were saying is Top Shot is really kind of this first phase into what they're calling this sort of next version of a digital ticket. I mean, right now, a digital ticket is maybe something that's scanned and you have it, you know, on your phone and you you show it at the stadium. But what they're talking about is this is like this digital ticket that is trackable, you know, it's kind of like this, you know, the non-fungible token, right? There's an authentication process to it. So if I get this digital ticket, I can tie experiences to it, but then also from the league and team perspective is that ticket can be tracked into the secondary market. So for example, like that example that you gave, I go to a game, I have my digital ticket, there's an experience that comes with it, you know, maybe, maybe a virtual seat is built into that that I get also, Maybe I get a highlight clip from that game as, you know, an NFT, um, you know, or I could take that digital ticket and sell it in the secondary market. And I, and the team now knows, because right now they don't know where the tickets go. So they would know, oh, okay, this ticket now sold, the face value was X, it sold for Y, I make money off of that. And then, you know, somebody in 
in a, another part of the world could buy the NFT out of that as well. And then I make money off that too. So it's, a, it's an interesting sort of, you know, future revenue generator. And because these leagues and teams have all of this content and why not maximize that and, you know, sell as much as that as you, as you can and, you know, really, you know, really grow this. And that's also has a lot more reach um, doing it that way. You know, I, I watched that, that Beeple who sold his, that JPEG for $69 million. Um, and what's interesting is that the artists retain the copyright of an NFT. So, you know, and there's a certain commission that you get. So if somebody was to turn around and resell that, say for 200 million, the artist still gets 10% of that revenue as it's resold. And so that's very interesting. I think the leagues and teams look at it from that way is that if that ticket's resold in the secondary market right now, I don't get a piece of that. I get a piece of that. These NFTs, I can, I can, you know, they're authentic. I know, I know who has them. I know when they're resold. I know when they're traded. Um, you know, so I think it's a, I think it's a very clever way. I think a lot of the rest of this kind of stuff, um, you know, will probably, you know, and typical, all this kind of stuff, 90 some percent of it will just evaporate. But I think from like a collectibles, um, ticketing and, you know, brands that are trusted, you know, can really take advantage of the, of this, of these blockchain tickets and NFTs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And tracking it across, I mean, knowing their fans, as you said, most sports teams these days wouldn't necessarily even know who's in their stadium. If you're talking about the most basic level, someone buys five tickets for their family. Um, it will look like, you know, middle-aged man buys, you know, five tickets. If they're looking at their audience analytics and stuff like that, it's like, well, it's just one of the same across that, but being able to understand individuals and how that moves and how that, that tracks and, and as you said seeing content as the asset itself as well um rather than just reruns or highlights or something like that in a very traditional linear broadcast you will consume this and that's how we do it it's going well how do you personalize it turn that that highlight into a package um and be able to have that owned by individuals that can can relive that um and, and that's something that people go well what about display it's like well you know that's, that's not that's we are living in a digital world people go well i can't put my nft up on my wall with my piece of art um okay that's that's not that's you, you're kind of not getting it if that's where you're coming from in the same way that we live our lives so much uh online in digital with our social media presence all that kind of stuff we are digital creatures in 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 that sense so why is that any different for how we present ourselves and things that we own that we um that we push forward in that way. So I'm kind of really interested to see how, I guess that that merging of the physical and the digital is happening from that arena experience, from that stadium experience back into people's living rooms. Do, do you think it's going to be one of those ones where it is always the pinnacle to be in the stadium or is it there a chance that, just the access, the kind of experience from home can eclipse that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, human beings are very social social creatures. And I, I think there is something to the spectacle and the excitement. You know, it's really hard to, you know, duplicate, to replicate that kind of being there, being at a concert. You know, there's that certain energy 
and, you know, connection that you feel, you know, when you're there, it's a very, you know, visceral experience, but I do, I do think that, you know, a second, you know, again, there's only, you know, 20,000 seats, you know, that you could go to, or, you know, 30,000 seats. So I, I, there, you know, as you've seen sort of the broadcasting change, this really emerging of all these, the streaming, and then this layer of interactivity on top of the, on top of the streaming. So the idea that, you know, I can, if I don't go to the game, I can go into this viewing party experience with, you know, 10 of my friends, I can switch, the, you know, there's some, just some interesting things. I can change camera angles. I can, you know, chat with my friends and video chat, you know, I can buy merch. I can do, you know, there's just, all of this stuff is just happening so quickly. And I definitely think, you know, there's all the betting, you know, this whole, this whole betting that's, you know, coming all coming online, you know, all of that stuff's going to play a big part of this. And I think this, you know, this OTT, the second screen experience stuff is going to explode. I mean, you know, from esports to, you know, traditional sports, um, it's going to be big. It's going to be really big. And I, I think, you know, in the next three years or so, you know, a lot of this whole enhanced, whatever this, again, these terms are so broad, but this kind of enhanced viewing experience is really going to be a standard. And, uh, you know, that's the way, you know, people are going to really enjoy this stuff because you need the social. It's really, it's not cool to watch a live event by yourself, <laughs> you know, from your, from your house. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if you can, if you can get together with your friends and you can see each other on video and you can watch and, you know, all that, all the stuff that goes along with that, that has real value. And I think people that's really enjoyable. And, you know, I don't know if it's enjoyable as, you know, a full replacement for going physically, but it has a huge place in the future for sure. Yeah. And I think to your point also why things like virtual reality in the sense of strap a headset on you, um, never took off and I, and I personally don't think it ever will in sports and I'm prepared to be proved wrong, but it drew you out of that social experience. If anything, by trying to give a very, very high tech, super immersive um, view of the game and experience of the game, it pulled you back from all the stuff that make that game immersive, which is, as you said, the social element being to interact normally with other people. Um, so that's something that I think, I think sometimes high tech, a super high tech solution to something that isn't necessarily like doesn't need that is sometimes yeah. a trap that is full into as well. I mean, obviously the back end of, of what you do is incredibly impressive. You know, as we're talking like something like Thunderdome, um, being able to stream with, with near zero latency, all of those different views. But the idea is, well, we just put people in front of a camera and they can interact. Um, you don't need to strap VR sets to 5,000 people. Yeah. And I, you know, and the internet is, is changing a lot too. You know, the, the internet is not going to be two dimensional for much longer. You know, I know that people, there's that, again, that term, the metaverse, but you know, that's really happening. I mean, this, this whole idea of downloading apps and, and the, the kind of stuff that you're going to be able to do in a web browser you know, from experiences and, and, and immersion and interaction using gaming engines, you know, running from the cloud, you know, this, this whole, it's all going to change. I mean, the, the e-commerce experiences, entertainment experiences, the way you see and interact socially on the internet is going to be 3D. It's going to be immersive. It's 
not going to be the, the two dimensional, what you see now, it's going to change and it's coming soon. You know, it's like, um, there's a lot of people putting a lot of time and tech into, into these sort of, you know, real time 3d immersive experiences running in a web browser that don't, you don't need to download an app. You don't runs on your phone, runs on your tablet, runs on your desktop. Um, and you know, it's all powered by cloud computing and stream down to, to your device and into the browser. So there's a whole world of like possibilities coming, you know, again, from like this sort of second screen experience, you know, what, what is it like to virtually walk into a stadium without using VR through your web browser and meeting with other fans in there? You know, it's, it's, it's there's the, you know, you kind of see this in this virtual event space, you know, again, in that events business, when all the events were canceled, all of these virtual platforms popped up for events, you know, they're, in all different sort of shapes and sizes, um, you know, from this hop-in platform to, you know, there's a platform called Pixel Canvas and another one called Surreal that are doing, you know, real-time streaming and you can walk around and interact and engage with other people and pick up things in the environment. You know, you feel like you're there. And again, that's going to translate a lot into these sort of second screen sports experiences where you could actually walk into the virtual version of the stadium, like a Fortnite, but just in your browser yeah. and, you know, talk to other people and maybe you have an avatar, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you, you know, it's a whole, and, you know, again, there isn't, there isn't a silver bullet to solve all of these, you know, sort of the way you engage with fans or, you know, technology is just technology. If it, you know, without like, a use case or something that's useful or a narrative that makes sense or a really way to bring people together that's easy to use and very social, all of this stuff, you know, because also, again, in, in this business, there's like the teams have their apps, the leagues have this, then you have your social apps and you have all this other stuff. And it's like this overload of like, I got to open up five different apps during, you know, this experience or I got to download something. And so, you know, you hear again, all that talk about things that are frictionless, you know, like being able to move from one experience to the other. And I think we're just kind of on the tip of the iceberg um, from that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And the ability to seamlessly integrate across that. That's something that's being talked about a lot in sports betting is, um, you know, watching the game, placing a bet or watching the game, getting odds on the information I want, placing a bet. And there's also lots of other, um, applications across e-commerce, for instance, watching the game, getting targeted with merchandise, looking at merchandise, sizing, payment delivery, um, and being able to have that without having to, yeah, as you said, go to different locations, all that kind of stuff, just trying to integrate that um, and really streamline it, which is which will happen. Consolidation will happen, and it is, and it is happening at the moment, um, uh, and it's it's just, just got to wait and take time, I think, because as you said, there's a lot of different fan engagement, uh, in air quotes, fan engagement solutions out there. Um, but at the end of the day, fans want it as a tool for consuming what they want to, which is their sports. It is not in and of itself what they're attracted to. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think they want it to be a social experience and something that's personalized. You know, I think... You know, again, the technology that we have allows you to have something very personalized. You know, if you're into Steph Curry and you're watching, you know, the, in the dub hub, you know, in the future, you know, you could roll over and click on 
Steph Curry and get all this additional information, get merchandise. You know, there is, there is some really valuable ways to use a lot of this technology to really personalize the experiences for individual people, you know, whether that's access to the player or, you know, they get it, they get at the, you know, an end of an end of a experience, they get a highlight reel cut together. That's of their favorite player as you, you know, an NFT, like you mentioned that they can keep as collectible and hold on to. So, you know, really this, a lot of these tools, you know, put together the right way, allow for a really personalized and social experience, which I think is what people really want. You know, I think that's like, you know, when you go to the game, it's all about, you know, I'm here. I had these experiences. I share these experiences with my friends, either through social or with my friends that I go with. And I think there's a lot of opportunity with this new tech type of technology. That's kind of the stuff that could be replicated, I think, in a very powerful and meaningful way that one, you know, enhances, really enhances the the individual fan experience, but also allows the teams to really know the fans better and to monetize a lot of this sort of new next generation of, you know, the way people are engaging. And there's a lot of opportunities for teams to take advantage of that. And, you know, it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about making money and generating revenue, you know, and just listening to the NBA, you know, they're really smart about that. And I think Top Shot is a great example. And, you know, the other leagues are going to come on with their own NFT stuff, you know, behind there. Um, and, you know, it's a really exciting time for sure. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And final question for you, Greg. Uh, what's your favorite, most favorite sporting moment of all time? My favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh, boy. I think it was when Tiger Woods won the Masters for the first time. I play golf myself and I, it's very difficult sport. And I, and I, there was just something about how, you know, he revolutionized that sport, you know, just, just his power and his game was just so far beyond, um, you know, what any other golfer had done, you know, the fitness level, just, just the entire, sort of thing and when he won I thought to myself wow that's literally incredible like you know and also it's very disruptive you know I feel like the same with Lewis Hamilton in Formula One I mean that guy is such a excuse my language badass um and you know just just to come through through that and you know all the challenges and roadblocks that you face you know and to be on the top of your sport like that you know like Tiger was or like you know Lewis Hamilton you know, is in Formula One is just really incredible. I mean, th those kind of things really show you like the power of the human spirit and just, you know, a dedication to a craft and being just, you know, to be the best in the world at something is is, is un unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, both great examples of um, athletes coming through and breaking down barriers and, and performing at the highest level um, in traditionally conservative kind yeah. of I mean, I think that's really the magic of sports. I mean, I think that's really, really what makes sports so special is those, like you said, breaking down barriers and those stories of just overcoming incredible odds to, you know, be at the top of something. Yeah. Great. Well, it's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Greg, uh, for your time today. It was really interesting uh, to, to listen to your thoughts on that. I mean, the Famous Group doing some really cool stuff and always, always enjoy following what you're doing. So looking forward to seeing 
um, what's coming next. Yeah, thank you. It was great. I really appreciate it. There you have it. That was Greg Harvey, Partner and Chief Innovation Officer at The Famous Group. A really cool company doing some very cool stuff in this space uh, for anyone that would have seen uh, their mixed reality presentations with the NFL or more recently uh, the WWE Thunderdome, which we did speak about, and the Dub Hub, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you haven't seen it, go check it out so you can have a bit more of a sense of what you've just listened to kind of visually because it is very impressive. So they're definitely a company to keep an eye on about kind of what's next, uh, really pushing the envelope constantly on where all this is going. So Great to have Greg's time. And thanks to you again for joining Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Until next time.